This is Paul Schneiderman today, and I have a little brief announcement. I have a great guest today, Jim Moore. Um, this is the 89th edition of my radio show on RainierAvenueRadio.world. My show has been known as Sports and Stuff since its inception in 2017. Well, doing a little rebranding today. My show, my new show name is Sports Untold. What the heck? The big corporations and the big guys do some rebranding. Doing a little rebranding here as well. So on the 89th edition of Sports Untold, I have a terrific guest, longtime Seattle sports journalist, broadcaster, writer, and radio show host, Jim Moore. I believe you're also known as the go-to guy, right, Jim? Well, yeah, that was a nickname I was given by a managing editor at the Post-Intelligencer, and I, I don't hear that as much as I used to, but uh, yeah, that was kind of my nickname at the newspaper. Love it. Well, I, I, I would probably call you Jim or Mr. Moore throughout the interview, but if I slip with go-to guy, uh, you can roll with that then, right? Yeah, that's fine. That's better than what I used to hear uh, on the text line of the radio station. You know, I didn't get Jim very often. I got, you know, idiot moron quite a bit more than Jim. But uh, whatever you want to call me, Paul, it works. Believe me, Jim, I've been called a lot of names throughout my life. Uh, Jim was, what, the CLPI from about, what, 83 through 2009. He was a show host at 710 ESPN, ESPN Seattle for about a decade or so. Jim is now doing some stuff at KGR. He writes for the kits at some. Uh, communications major at Washington State University. Uh, Jim, by the way, how is your job search coming? Any any leads at all right now? <laughs> uh, no, not really. You know, today marks, uh, I'm keeping track of all, it's uh, six months today that I uh, was laid off there at the radio station, and um, I, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I tell people I'm jobless or I'm unemployed or I'm retired or all three. I, uh, like, I'm playing golf today. I'm watching my kids play baseball tonight, um, but that's I'm kind of, that's a roundabout way of answering your question and saying basically that uh, I don't have too much going on other than, like you said, I'm writing for the Kitsap Sun. Uh, I'm also writing for CoopFan.com, a Washington State fan website. And then I got some good news the other day, though. I'm going to be a, a part-time a freelance columnist uh, writing sports for the, the News Tribune in Tacoma. Okay. And it's going to be like... The, going to be like the Kitsap Sun, writing twice a month, and uh, I'm really looking forward to that opportunity starting in August. And the only other thing I have going, perhaps, I've had some conversations with Todd Lightwicky at the Kraken, and um, I'm hoping to maybe get a part-time writing job with them. And I say hoping because he hasn't said no yet. He hasn't exactly said yes, but he hasn't said no, so I kind of take that as a maybe. So we'll, we'll see if something can work out there. Well, Jim, oftentimes the best people are the ones that get laid off. You're, you're going to land something that, that and things are going to work out for you great. Well, Jim, I really appreciate you coming on Sports Untold on Rainier Avenue Radio. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Hey, Jim, let me start with a question for you. You know, you're a trained journalist, and, you, you know, you, you graduated in the communications department at WSU. You, you worked in print media. You've worked in print media for a long time. How do you feel about a lot of these podcasters and bloggers labeling themselves journalists when they don't have the same journalistic training that someone like you has? Does it kind of bug you in a way? Oh, um, no, not, not really. I haven't even thought about that too much. I I imagine it's pretty difficult, though, if you're one of the teams like the Mariners or Seahawks on you know, where do you draw the line on giving out credentials and allowing people to come to practices? It's right. probably difficult for them. Uh, I do think that 
you know, there's been a change. Certainly, newspapers are you know going the way of covered wagons, and they're they're going to be gone here shortly. But it seems like there's not as much of a need for columnists as there used to be because everyone's a columnist now. And as far as me thinking I'm better than someone somehow just because I have a journalism background or that I can write better or report better, um, I, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't really bother me that much. The only thing I will say about podcasts and, and no offense to you uh, um, because I'm sure you do a good job, but I, you know, my wife was talking. You need to do a podcast. And people tell me you can. You know, after I got laid off, now you need to do a podcast. You need to do a podcast. So I was thinking, it's interesting that a lot of people are doing podcasts, and I don't know how many people are actually making money at it. Right. And so that's a long way of saying that I, I, I never, I haven't started a podcast in the last six months, and I, I probably won't. Well, everyone, it's it's a you know it's a choice issue. I you know this is technically an online radio show, and I, I'm looking at the podcast option. But I was just kind of curious because it just seems to me I, I don't have a journalist back journalist background, but it just seems to me that maybe traditional journalism is getting a little diluted these days. Is there any truth to that? Yeah, I think so. Like I I, I wonder um, I wonder about that sometimes because um, yeah, it's kind of funny when I was doing the radio show, uh, my journalism background was would get in the way a little bit because I, I always, I, I don't know. I just think that maybe it's different now for people who are covering the teams. We were always taught to be objective no matter what, even though you're writing to the home team fans for the most part, but you wanted to be right down the middle. I think guys like Ryan Divish, Bob Condota, and you know, a lot of the local guys, Greg Bell, the news Tribune. I mean, I could go on and on. They're all professional and they, they go right down the middle of it, but it just seems to me there's more and more, fans out there doing stuff which is which is fine but as far as it being diluted i don't i don't really feel that way i i don't know what to tell kids coming up anymore though i I feel like there's more opportunities out there i I wouldn't necessarily tell them to go to a newspaper to find a job but i i still think if you can write and you can report that there's jobs out there for you but but honestly paul i feel like things have changed a little bit as far as it seems like there's more you know, the home team, the home fan uh, kits of things than there used to be. Sure. Well, you're, I wanted to hear your perspectives on that. We won't spend the whole interview talking about the subject, but this is not the best analogy. But I, I have a, a friend of mine's a retired minister, and you know he has a lot of training in theology. And these days there's a lot of ministers who don't have training in, in ministry. So, you know, there's different subjects and fields where people who maybe feel they have training in, in the field are uh, maybe – Maybe they feel it's that their field's getting a little diluted, but I I, I, I hear your points. I was just uh, just kind of hit me before we started this interview to get your perspectives on that. Hey Jim, uh, total change of subject. Um, Jared Kellenick is being compared to Bryce Harper. Um, if we talk again in three or four years, Jim, or hopefully sooner, um, will that comparison come to fruition? Put on a go-to guy crystal ball on the uh, future career of Kellenick. Can he can he reach a Bryce Harper level or exceed Bryce Harper's performance levels? I hope, I hope so. Uh, you know, Paul, I've been watching this team since 77, and everybody knows, you know, there have been some highs, but there have been more lows than highs, and it's been 20 years since they've made the playoffs. And so, for the most part, it's been uh, not so exciting being a man of the baseball fan, but... Yeah, I think I'm excited about this kid. He's supposed to be coming up tomorrow night against the Indians. Uh, and so, yeah, it should be fun, shouldn't it? I, 
and this kid seems to be the kind of kid that can handle it. Like, I used to look back, and I always thought to myself, okay, it didn't work out for Dustin Ackley. It didn't work out for Sedino. And everybody's talking about, oh, they brought him up too early. They rushed him. Um, even if they're rushing this kid, which they are, uh, let's, let's admit that. I, I mean, they, they said they were going to give him some time at AAA, and I, I guess they gave him time, four games, but I figured it'd be a little longer than that. But he's done so well, and so, but he, he still has a kind of attitude where he's so confident bordering on hockey that I think even if he gets off to a slow start, that it's not going to phase him like it phased a guy like Ackley. Uh, and I, yeah, I can't wait to see it. I, I like this kid's, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of a humble guy, and I don't really like seeing, you know, displays of, of stuff going on there, celebrations right. too much, going going over the top. But I'm, I'm at a point now where I'm going, geez, I'm almost 64. They need to appeal to a younger crowd. Baseball is boring to a lot of people. I think, you know, you talk to some coaches around the area, I don't think they have as big a turnout as they used to have. I talked to a kid the other night, and I just said to him, I go, why'd you give up baseball? Because he played for a year. He just said it was too slow. So, I mean, get get the Fernando Tatises out there and do the more do more backflips. Uh, let's <laughs> go. I, and I, I think Kelnick is a candid guy. He's going to say what's on his mind. And I think he's going to be that kind of guy that people are going to get upset with. And he, he might be the kind of guy that, other uh, opposing fans are going to be going, man, I can't stand the Mariners because it's Jared Kelnick. And I hope that's the case because I can't wait to see him play. I'm sick of watching these guys who can't hit. They, they can't hit. I mean, last night they had four hits. Three of them were home runs by Anagher. Um, but you look at the rest of that lineup and so many guys sitting under 200 and striking out, it, it, it's even more boring than it's been in the past. Back to the original question. I liked all your points. Will Kellenick in three or four years be comparable to Bryce Harper? You think he'll be that good? Oh, man, I guess I avoided your question. It <laughs> no, wasn't intentional. It was not intentional at all. No, I, I, you, I, you I made, so. made great points. I hope so. I, I, I have no idea. I don't know. But good God, I hope that that kid is in the same sentence or at least the same paragraph in comparison to Bryce Harper. I mean, what what the heck? Aren't we due for that? It's, it's been a while since we've had a kid that we could call a superstar here. Looking forward to it. I, I, it's going to be a lot of fun watching, and people are really pumped up. This is Paul Schneiderman on the 89th edition of, of Sports Untold with longtime Seattle sports media figure Jim Moore. Hey, Jim, this is a this is going to be a controversial question. This 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 one, this one's going to maybe hit you a little bit and how to analyze it. All right, 33 year old Tim Tebow is now apparently trying out as a tight end for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I was reading some stuff on the internet and saw some stuff on Facebook. Some are frustrated. Some feel that a religious right white guy like Tebow is, is being given an NFL tryout chance, but Kaepernick, the African-American activist player, is not being given a chance. Is this just apples and oranges, or do you think some people critical of Tebow getting a chance that, that are pro-Kaepernick have a point? Oh boy, I um, a lot there, you know, huh? On the, well, on the one hand, I I think it's a cool story. Uh, Tim Tebow, um, boy, I mean, everybody was ripping him about not being a good enough quarterback in the NFL, and he proved those people right. So he's out of the league. He's coming back to be a tight end. And if you remove Kaepernick from from any of this story, it's you look at it and you go, well, this will be interesting to watch whether he fails or whether he does well there in Jacksonville. 
uh, it, it'll be it'll be fun to see how it turns out. Uh, with Kaepernick, though, I did feel like he got blackballed from the NFL, and um, I just felt like he was screwed. Uh, I, I just didn't understand it. I used to we used to talk about it on the radio show, and and I would hear from people that well, he's not good enough. Um, you know, if he was good enough, an NFL team would have given him a chance. And I, I used to look at his stats and go, well, wait a minute. I know that San Francisco wasn't very good his last year there, but when you look at his numbers, you can't begin to tell me that that kid wasn't still good enough to hook on with a team. And then, then the, the comments would be, well, he wants to be a starter. Well, that's true he wants to be a starter, but he was at least good enough to be a backup you look at some of these backups like Keno Smith in Seattle, you mean to tell me that, that Colin Kaepernick wasn't better than Keno Smith? Right. And I would have said, he could have picked out five or six teams anyway where Kaepernick could have been the starter or at least competed to be one. So, yeah, I thought he got screwed to that whole deal. But, you know, people didn't, you know, the ownership didn't want to uh, upset their fans because if he was getting down on a knee during the national anthem. And so I can see why. People are coming out going, well, why Tebow get a shot and Kaepernick, why did he not? Right, right. Well, it's interesting, Jim. Something else, that, a little irony here, is that Tebow did his kneeling as well. Granted, it was a different type of kneeling and a different message, but a little irony there is that, on that issue. But anyhow, that just food for thought on that. But Yeah, there is. I, you know, I, I really wasn't aware of that with Tebow, but, uh, boy, I, I just... I, I can't emphasize enough. I, I just I, I was in the camp of feeling like that Kaepernick got got hosed on that whole deal, and that he should have had an opportunity somewhere. You're not alone. He, he probably got a huge uh, settlement for his employment case, but that's here nor there. Hey Jim, by the way, how'd you get the whole sports media bug? I knew you grew up, I believe, in the east side of Seattle. Tell us how you kind of got the bug to go into uh, sports media and journalism. Well, I just at an early age, I. Um, the Sonics came to town. I was always a sports fan. I, I, you know, I was a big fan of baseball, basketball, football, anything that was going on. I was actually a, a Husky fan growing up. I, I loved Sonny Six Killer, and I would go to the games with my mom. We had season tickets, and and so I just was trying to think of something I could do for a living when I got older that would be fun and rewarding. And I just I started following the Sonics when they got to town. I think I was ten years old, and I would keep a box score every game and listen to Bob Blackburn, and I thought, man, that'd be really cool if I could be a sports writer someday. And and my parents subscribed to the Post Intelligencer, so oh, I would sit there and read the sports section every day and think about, man, I, I sure hope I can work at the PI someday, and my dream would be to cover the Sonics. And um, that was kind of where it started, was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do for a living. And sports was always part of my life as a kid growing up in Redmond and um, put the two together. And then I think in, I got a job at the PI, I think around 86 or 87. And then I started covering the Sonics in 1990. So it was, uh, it was just fun because when I, when I covered the team, the six years that I covered them, they averaged like 58 or 60 wins a year. They went to the NBA finals. Right. Six. And uh, so, yeah, for, for a kid that, that grew up listening to Bob Blackburn, uh, I, I definitely had to pinch myself sometimes when I was, especially like at Boston Garden, I'd be sitting there pinching myself thinking, man, I'm courtside at Boston Garden watching NBA games, and they're flying me all over the country to go to these games. I, 
I felt really uh, grateful that, um, that I had that run that I did there at the Post-Intelligence. What a cool job. You're working at, you've worked in a field, Jim, that so many American kids would love to work in, and, and it's, it's, it's neat you've had a long run in, in this career in your career. Hey, Jim, I remember back in the Sonics relocation battle days, you know, the 07, 08 era, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I remember that you were kind of ambivalent about the Sonics and about the future of the NBA in Seattle. Let me know if I'm mischaracterizing how you, how you thought at all, but looking back, you know, 13 years later, would, would you be really gung-ho about having the team come back? Although at one time you were kind of cynical about the Sonics? Well, I would, and you know, it's, it's interesting you say that, Paul, because I do remember when all that was happening that um, just personally I had burned out on the NBA. It wasn't as interesting to me anymore. Um, but that was my own personal thought about it. Like, sure. I, have I missed the Sonics personally? No, I haven't. Uh, I don't really watch the NBA. It sounds terrible to say that because I know how passionate people are and how screwed over um, the city got when, when the team moved to Oklahoma City. So I understand that. I'm just talking on a personal level. Sure. But, you know, looking back on it, I, I feel you know terrible for all the people that have missed the NBA for the last 12 years. And that includes my kids. Uh, they're 17 years old. They love the NBA. And um, I especially feel like kids have missed out because, I mean, I was a kid who grew up with the Sonics. And, and uh, they were taken away for the wrong reasons. And... I thought about when they come back, and we know now that the arena, Climate Pledge Arena, is almost complete. The Kraken's going to start playing there this fall. I imagine in the next two to three years, and I'd say five years tops, they're going to have the Sonics back. And, <laughs> Paul, I think if I go to the first game and I see all these former Sonic legends there, you know Gary Payton and Sean Kemp will be there, uh, and, and some other Sonics legends too. Jack Sigma will probably be there. But it's going to be, I mean, I think I'll have tears. Uh, and, and I'm going to be a sentimental old fool anyway. Likewise. But I think it's going to be, it's really going to be a moving night when that happens. And then, if you fast forward another five years, if they were to ever play Oklahoma City and Western Conference Finals, what that would be like. So I'm, I'm hoping, well, I'm not even hoping it's going to happen. I already know what's going to happen with that new arena that they have and you hear all these people on the NBA, Charles Barkley, all these guys who are associated with it. They love coming to Seattle. It's one of their favorite road trips. Uh, it sure as heck is going to be back here pretty soon. It seems that way, Jim. So I guess in sort of extrapolating your answer, tell me if I'm on the right track that you don't miss the NBA that much, but if, but if the Sonics were to return, you'd think it would be cool though. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it'd be great for everybody because, I mean, something was taken away that was unjustified. And so, you know, when it comes back, and we all know it's going to be, the name will be the Sonics. It, it'll be a different team, but they're going to be the Sonics. It's just like when when the Browns returned to Cleveland, even though they had moved to Baltimore. But anyway, it's, um, it's going to be fun, and uh, I can't wait for that. But, you know, in the meantime, I'm excited about this hockey team, and I don't even know anything about hockey, but... I want to get on board. I want to get up to speed. I want to learn more about the game, and uh, I think that's going to be fun, too. That's how I feel, too. Looking forward to the NHL in Seattle. Paul Schneiderman again on Sports Untold, having a lot of fun interviewing Jim Moore, a longtime Seattle sports columnist. Hey, Jim, I know you're a diehard WSU Cougar, and I'm, I'm a Husky. Don't hold that against me. But I remember that you 
didn't really click with former WSU coach Mike Leach. You weren't crazy about his just whole style. Do you think too many Cougar fans in the WSU administration gave him too much of a blank check? Kind of like the guy who gets the girlfriend that although the girlfriend's not very nice to him, he's so happy to have the girlfriend that he he puts up a lot of stuff or vice versa, the, the woman that, that puts up a lot of stuff with her boyfriend. Do, do you think in a way WSU in general put up with Leach too much? Uh, yeah, I do. I, you know, it's kind of funny, Paul. When, when he came, and I was excited as any other Cougar fan when he came to town because I thought, man, this guy has really done it. And we knew about his track record at Texas Tech, and and uh, it would be fun with the air raid. And uh, boy, we were really going to be uh, great guns with him there, and we were. We, for the most part, we had winning seasons. We went to bowl games, uh, but his act wore thin on me. I think earlier than most Cougar fans. I, I, you know, and people are, would say to me, you know, well, Jim got butt hurt over an interview that went south. I, I mean, but I mean, come on, Paul. I've had a million interviews go south. Right. Uh, so, so it's it was weird how he he just lashed out at me. I will admit that. But then it was a pattern where, you know, everybody would think he was the greatest ever in these interviews talking about. You know, who would win mascot battles or giving wedding advice and that kind of thing? Well, <laughs> oh, Mike Leach, he's sure funny. You know, God, he's great. I just got sick of him. I, I got sick of the arrogance. I, I got sick of – and it's not like, Paul, I'm not the most classy individual. I, You know, I like to think I have some class. <laughs> right. But this, this guy has no class whatsoever, and I didn't like him representing my school. And I, I thought we sold a part of our soul at Washington State to, you know, bring this guy in and like, oh, please, pretty please, fix our football program. And um, the way we, the, the Apple Cup just went completely south. I mean, that thing, it's not even competitive right now. We were never competitive in that game. And I was sick of him. I was I was out on a trail with my dogs when I, I heard the announcement that he was going to Mississippi State. And I was like, hallelujah. I, I am so happy this guy's gone. I just, I, I couldn't take it. It just wasn't worth it to me because I just thought he was an ass. Well, Jim, you know, it, it's just kind of interesting because it seems like you were kind of a minority in Cougar Nation. I don't know how to quantify it, but it just seems that you were a guy that just clearly did not like a lot of stuff that Leach was, was doing with his behavior. But it just seemed like, to me, although I'm a Husky, it just seemed like... Washington State was putting up with him too much. Didn't he try to leave for a couple other jobs before he took the Mississippi, Mississippi State job too? Um, yeah, well, yeah, uh, the Tennessee job. Right. He was he was going to take the Tennessee job the year before, and then I think there was an agreement. The Tennessee athletic director met him in L.A., and it sounded like there was an agreement that he was going to be named the Tennessee coach. And then the next morning, the president of the university there in Tennessee – fired the athletic director and so they went in a different direction but um yeah it was it was a weird one for me paul because i've never really been in a position where i wasn't 100 percent on board rooting for washington state but i knew that if i rooted for the kooks uh that that meant and if they did well that meant that leach was going to be there longer so i went into games kind of sort of rooting for the Cougs. Really? That's um, interesting. And, from Mr. Cougar, putting, Jim Moore, saying know, that. I, I put on a good face for my kids because I know they didn't really care about 
colleagues treated reporters or people in general that, you know, that weren't kind to him or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I, um, it wasn't like I was hoping we were going to lose. But I didn't want us to win too much because I knew that this asshole would still be there longer. So well, that, that, just, that's a way I of looking I, at it. I, couldn't t- I just I couldn't take it. And you know what's funny? Yeah. Is that at, at the end, I mean, people that probably were – you know, thinking I was a disloyal coog or, you know, I can't believe that, you know, he's not getting along with Leach. And I think they all came around to my way of thinking, not all of them, but more than there used to be. And they, you know, figured out that he wasn't what he appeared to be. Well, not to get too political here. He reminds me of uh, Biden's predecessor in some ways, but that's here nor there. Um Hey, Jim, I've asked this question. We can call it the Paul Schneiderman question. I, I, I think people are getting sick of me asking this question, but I, I, I get the best answers here. So let me let me go through some answers I've received this question. Then I'm going to ask you the question, okay? Um, Grosby okay. answered Floyd Merriweather. Uh, two guests, Dave Sims and Alan Dershowitz, answered Sandy Koufax. I had Dershowitz on, by the way, recently, if you're wondering, because he was involved in the Kurt Flood case and has written on some sports law stuff. Um, let's see here. Softy and Dick Fain answered Tiger Woods. Furness said uh, Russell Wilson, Percy Allen, Mike Tyson, Steve Kelly, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, Jackie McCormick, a former female college basketball player, answered Serena Williams. Steve Rabel, Bill Russell, Puckett answered Michael Jordan, Kenny Anderson, former NBA player, answered Joe Montana. I'm giving you a lot of clues here. Uh, Greg Lewis answered LeBron James. If you could have an interview, Jim, or extended conversation with a living sports figure, can be a general manager, agent, owner, broadcaster, player, somebody in the sports world, who would it be? Pick one, one person. Well, could it be one that I've, that I've, had an interview with that I would like to have another interview with, or, or is it one that I have I've never had an interview with? Pick, pick them both. I, I, I don't worry. <laughs> well, well, Charles, Charles Barkley comes to mind for me. I, I mean, Charles Barkley is the guy. See, I've always wanted, I always want to interview people that are just out there and just will say anything. And right. You know, you know that even if you have a bad day as an interviewer, you're going to get good answers from a guy like Charles Barkley for so, sure. And and so it's just kind of a given. I you know I don't I never really wanted to go very deep into issues and stuff when I was writing at the PI because I felt like Art Teal was going to handle all that stuff. And then I'll just I'll do the bells and whistles and the you know the other stuff in sports. And so you know a guy like Barkley is uh, top of the list for me. And you know I didn't really interview him as much as uh, hang out with him for a day because I caddied for him at a, a pro-am event down in Lake Tahoe. Oh, wow. So, so I've never really sat down and talked to him for, say, a half an hour. But I did spend, you know, five hours with him on the golf course down there and see him, seeing him interact with fans and, you know, wrote something about that. Probably my favorite story that I've written in 30, 35 years is Bill Turner. Isn't that cool that it's been all the time at Barclay? Well, who's another name? So you've, you've met Barkley, you've talked to him. Can you throw a name out of someone that you've never talked to and you've ever interviewed before? You'd love to interview some living a living sports figure. Hmm. Well, I I probably would like to interview Willie Mays, um, and I say that because well, he just turned ninety, and Willie Mays was my favorite player growing up. Uh, I just, I loved Willie Mays. And, you know, I mean, there were nights, not, not very many, but there were some nights where I'd lay in bed and you could get like KG, KGO in San Francisco and 
it was kind of staticky, but I could I could hear some of the Giants games late at night. And then I, I just always loved him. And when I was 10 years old, my parents took me to Candlestick Park, and I got to watch the game that Willie Mays played in. And then we went to the All-Star game in Illinois that year and watched him play there. And, um, you know, it's kind of funny to call about, I want to say 15, 20 years ago, uh, I was in Scottsdale. My sister lives down there. And her husband had a connection to, to Willie Mays. And so I went over to meet him, my childhood hero. And it, I was just there just to meet him and say, hey, thanks for your time. And wanted to tell him, you know, about how much I loved him as a kid. And that was all it was going to be. And when he said, you know, what do you do now for a living? I said, I'm a sports writer. Well, he he shut down immediately because he thought I was there to, you know, somehow like, like, like I was being sneaky, trying to get a story about him. But Interesting. Yeah, you know, so I would I would love to be able to go back and 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 be able to interview him and just tell him that I went there and of course he wouldn't remember it, but I do. Uh, I went there with good intentions. I, you know, and when I left, I felt kind of bad. You know, you, like sometimes you don't want to find out too much about these people that you idolize because you might be disappointed. Right. And, and I was that I was that day. I was disappointed, but in his defense. I mean, he's got so many people coming at him all the time, and I can see why he was suspicious. You must have read my mind, Jim, a little bit. That I, I was about to mention Willie Mays would be a living sports figure. I loved interviewing, and I would have loved to have interviewed Hank Aaron, but he sadly passed a couple months ago. But yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. I mean, working as an attorney, Jim, I, I find sometimes when people find out I'm an attorney, they can kind of shut down a certain way. Have you kind of gotten that over mm-hmm. the years as a sports writer or a sports person? I mean, Willie Mays is an interesting example of that. Have you gotten that a, a little bit over the years? Oh, I suppose, yeah, people, you know, get get concerned about, uh, you know, how, you know, oh, you're a sports writer. And I, it, yeah, it seems like sports writers aren't held in the highest regard sometimes. I mean, some people think it's cool, but other people are probably thinking, oh, he's looking for dirt. You know, it's kind of funny because I, when I look back on it, when I was covering the Sonics, I never really wanted to go in the locker room. Uh, you know, it wasn't like I thought it was cool to go in the locker room, I, but I had to do it for my job. I wasn't in there. I never really was looking for dirt. I know people think that sports writers are always looking for dirt. Or right. Some people think that. I was just looking for a good story. I wasn't looking for dirt. I just wanted something that people would read. And I always, I always wanted to write something that people wouldn't get anywhere else. That was kind of... Kind of what I always wanted to do when when I worked at the PI is I just thought you know I mean and now it's even tougher to do that for for these guys who are sports columnists especially with all the Zoom meetings and the access not being what it used to be uh, it's harder to get one on one interviews with with athletes and coaches and general managers and but that was what I was always trying to do I never I never really went looking for dirt well, I shouldn't say never there were probably times where I was looking for dirt but, but I know not what very you mean. I know what you mean. Just trying to trying to get get a story out. And who's a deceased sports figure in history you would have loved to have interviewed or had an extended conversation with? I, I get the name Ali a lot. Men, mention a name. Oh my God, Muhammad Ali would be a great one. I, you know, I probably if, if you're talking Muhammad Ali, I, I almost would. Um, I almost would rather talk to Joe Frazier than Muhammad Ali. And I say that because I was a huge boxing fan when I was a kid. Uh, it was one of the things my dad and I would always get into and uh and they didn't have very many televised fights back then um you, you would kind of listen on the radio 
and they give you a round-by-round of what happened. But I just would like to know what it was like being Joe Frazier because he was – all he always picked on him. And I, I know that Ollie beat him two out of three times, but, my God, I was so happy when Frazier beat him that one time. And I just, you know, would like to go back and say, hey, Smoking Joe, you know, I was a big fan of yours. I always wanted you to beat Muhammad Ali. And, you know, what was it like? Um, what was it like being his foil and the way he was always getting in your face and making fun of you? that type of thing. So, yeah, Joe Frazier comes to mind. Oh, he'd be a fascinating guy to talk to. Hey, let me back up on something else. Back to college football for a second, Jim. Um, I was listening to Furness and Mahler and Dick Fain talk about this in separate conversations, I guess at your your news station, 950. Um, The idea of Washington State University and University of Washington playing in a separate conference. Uh, Furness and Mahler really do not like the idea Fain says he wouldn't mind if Wazoo and UW split up. How, how do you stand on that uh, hypothetical possibility, Jim? Oh, I, I haven't even thought about that. I, I don't even, uh, but now that you mention it, I don't like it at all. I I just, you know, I mean, I grew up being a Pac-8 guy and then a Pac-10 guy and now a Pac-12 guy. And I love our conference the way it is. Um, I just, <laughs> I'm a person who doesn't like change very much anyway, but... I just am always going for the Pac-12. I, you know, I, I just, I had so much fun watching the NCAA tournament this year, seeing the Pac-12 do well, and I, I get so sick of people just ripping on the Pac-12. And it was nice to see them have success, especially the Beavers and then UCLA, how they played. I mean, it was just fantastic. I just, I, I really enjoyed that. So no, I don't. You know, people talked in the past about ah, the Cougs suck. You know, they should get and they should go to the Big Sky or whatever. You know, I never. I don't I never want any of that stuff. I just like it the way it is. Yeah, I think it'd be a shame. I mean, having two intrastate rivalries with a long history, Washington State and UW splitting up in different conferences. But I, I want to get your perspective, and, and uh, I, I tend to share where you're coming from. Uh, Paul Schneiderman again on Sports Untold in the 89th edition with uh, Jim Moore. Having a lot of fun. Hey, Jim, I had a guy on my show back in late 2018, a professor named Andrew Zimbalis, and he is a sports economist. He actually testified in the Sonics lease trial. I know I knew that, know that you covered that. And he's an interesting guy, kind of quirky, but very, very smart. Um, Zimbalist is of the belief that college athletics has a terrible financial model, that most of even the most prominent universities are running deficits in their athletic department. Zimbalist believes that the NCAA should be abolished and a new federally chartered college athletic administration should start and take over the NCAA. He, he literally believes he should break it, like some say break the big banks. How do you feel about Zimbalist's rather radical idea of just completely breaking up the NCAA? <laughs> I know a lot of people are talking about that. You should pay the players and all these different things. I, I'm just so used to the way things are right now. I, I know you can make cases for, for what he's proposing there, but... Uh, I'll just go back to my last answer too. I just I'm fine with the way things are. Gotcha. Um, here's another proposal Zimbalist has. I, you know, some of these quirky uh, academics can be kind of interesting. Uh, he also believe advocated at one time that Division One football teams should be allowed to have up to 15 non-matriculated students play on their team. Would you be open to something like that? Some kind of hybrid model where there could be some college players on like a different track getting paid yeah i'd be i'd be okay with that i I, i'd be interested to see how that would work out 
Yeah. I, I, it seems to me that would be kind of more honest in a way if you just had some players playing that really weren't attending school. That's kind of how it is right now in some ways, isn't it, Jim? Yeah, it certainly is, Paul. Yeah. I, no, no I, I, I like that idea. Yeah, okay. I wanted to throw out a couple Andrew Zimbalist ideas. I told you I was going to ask you a few quirky questions, so... Um, well, we're having fun. Hey, um, I read your column recently on the idea of the Seahawks trading Russell Wilson for Aaron Rodgers, the Green Bay Packers. And uh, what an interesting column. Um, here's a hypothetical, Jim. If the salary cap was not an issue, do you think Russell would have already been traded by now? Oh, boy. You know, um, I do. You know, that's an interesting way you uh, phrase that question because I do think you're right about that. I think because I think the dead cap money is like 34 million or something like that. So yeah, I think you're probably right. They probably would have made a move like that. I, I it just seemed weird this whole off season with Russell and um, it just didn't seem like he was happy. It seemed like he was. I mean, his agent said, "Well, we don't want to move on, but if the Seahawks trade us, here's where we want to go." Uh, so, yeah, I, I think I think you're probably right about that, Paul. Well, I just asked the question. I don't know. I don't follow the salary cap nuances and details that much, but it just seems to me that, at least as a casual fan, that that's a big block from trading him. I don't know. Yeah, it does seem that way, though. I, I think if, if, if there hadn't been any dead cap money like that, I think maybe he would have he would have gone. Maybe they well, especially when you think about the Seahawks only having three draft picks this year and you know John Schneider doesn't like that at all. He likes having six or eight anyway. So I'm sure that that would have been more of an enticement to uh to trade him. Um but yeah, it's gonna be fun to see how it works out this year with a new offensive coordinator and see that see if Pete Carroll with his run first offense can get along with uh, Russell and his, his uh, let it cook philosophy. What's your next column going to be on, Jim? I don't know, Paul. I You know, I usually, uh, well, let's see, I'm writing for the Sun next week, so I'll probably just, maybe something on Kelnick. We'll see how he does in the next few games and uh, write something about him. Looking forward. You got a couple more minutes? I, you know, I, I got to go. You got to um, go. Okay. My, my tea time's at 1148, and I, I need to check in. But, gotcha, Jim. Well, thank uh, you so much for doing this. I'd love to get you back one day. I got a, I, a few more questions I could try to cook up. But thank you for coming on Sports Untold on Rainier Ivory Radio, Jim. Had a lot of fun. Thanks for having me, Paul. I really appreciate it. Anytime, Jim. All the best with everything. We'll be in touch. Hey, Paul, if you want to do something later, um, you know, if you, if you have more questions, I, I, yeah, I don't want to be rude or anything. I just. Um, yeah, my are No, you told me that. Totally understand. Love to get you back one day. All the best, Jim. We'll be in touch. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. You too.